0: Hello, this is Tim, the lead pastor of Mosaic Portland, and welcome to the Mosaic Portland podcast. We exist to follow Jesus in authentic community for the world. And right now we're gathering Sundays online uh, to worship together and to open up scripture together. And then after that we have virtual house gatherings that meet all over our city. And the great thing about these is that you can actually join in wherever you're listening from. We think these right now are the best way for, to be known, to connect with others, uh, and to be on mission together. They're also where we pray together on Sundays in smaller communities, where we take communion together and debrief what the talk was about and engage scripture more. If you want to find out more information of how to be a part of one in this season, you can find out more info on our website, mosaicportland.org. Now let's go to scripture together as we listen to this podcast. Hi, I'm Tim, the lead pastor of Mosaic. And whenever and wherever you're watching, it's really good to be with you in this way. Thanks for joining in. We're in a series that we've called Anchored. With Jesus in the wind and the waves. And uh, this day, today is Sunday, November 1st, uh, is a really critical day. It's a start to, to November of 2020, which is now puts us into the eighth month of COVID restrictions and the reality of a global pandemic. And if you're not aware of this, we're about 48 hours away from a national election. Um, and so this is a critical time, a critical moment. Uh, it's Really important. There is a lot going on. There are new challenges, new struggles. As we've used in this analogy through this series, there's a lot of wind and waves right now. Um, and so, what I want to do is tell you about an experience I had at the uh, outdoor mall at on 16th Street in Denver, Colorado, uh, about 25 years ago. Came out of a sandwich shop as, with my sister and a couple other friends, uh, getting lunch, and we walked out. And it wasn't a it wasn't a phone because uh, cell phones and Looking down and walking wasn't an issue at that point. Again, this was 25 years ago. Um, I was about four years old. We're walking out. Door- I was like 20, I think. And we, uh, we were walking and out of the, uh, the shop after we had eaten. And I'd, I looked down at something. I don't remember what it was. I don't know if it was leftovers. I don't remember if it was my wallet. I don't know what it was. And uh, I got about 20 yards out of the, down the sidewalk. And I, I hit my head on a sign. Because I was looking down at whatever was in my hand, and I hit my head on the sign, uh, which is both painful and extremely embarrassing. And so I wanted to share that with you uh, so that you know how dangerous Denver can be. And uh, because when we are looking down, we miss what is up. In front of us, we miss our eyes getting raised up and seeing a bigger picture of where we're going and what's going on around us. And that's really obvious, and we know that. Last week, we looked at something really, really important in Scripture, and that's we looked internally at what's going on inside of us. And as we've talked through this series of being anchored in Jesus, what happens when we link our lives to Jesus, when we place our hope and our trust in Jesus, when we find salvation in Jesus, when we find our identity in Jesus? And last week we looked internally, and and this week I want to look at one verse that actually raises our eyes up to see what is around us. It's one verse, it's fairly short, but there's a lot in it. There's three things specifically. There's a word for us to hear, there's an image for us, a picture for us to see in our mind's eye, and then there's a smell for us to to smell. And we're not going to be able to do that because we're through screens like this, but a word for our our ear, an image for us to see, and something for us to smell. So the verse is in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. So I want to read it to us uh, together. It says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 14. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. And it uses us to spread the aroma of of him, of the knowledge of him everywhere. The Apostle Paul is writing this, and it's a second letter to the church in Corinth, and the church in Corinth has all sorts of unique challenges and, um, and struggles, and so he's written two letters to them. In this one, in 2 Corinthians, he's writing to them because he's not able to be with them, and he had planned on being with them, and they're actually criticizing him because he's changed his travel plans. And and, and so he's writing to them to say, Hey, I, I love you. God's doing good things in you. You're changing, you're growing, all things. Here's where you need some correction and some things. But he starts out early on in his letter and he comes to this verse and he writes and he says, But thanks be to God. Even though I'm not able to be with you, even though my plans have changed and what I thought was going to happen has gotten derailed and things are, have happened differently thanks be to God. And so that's that's the word that I want us to hear, is he starts with this word, thanks. And we've talked about this over the last year or two of, of what it means to, to be thankful, what it means to, to show gratitude, what it means to, to show appreciation for another person. And this was a number of months ago, but, but just sharing about the reality of when we appreciate someone else, and in this situation, it's when we appreciate what God is doing, something happens in in us. As human beings, God's designed us, and our brains specifically, that when we're thankful or express gratitude or express appreciation to another person, there's a connection that happens. It's as simple as even ordering coffee from somebody and saying, thank you. Even with masks on and and only being able to make eye contact, there's actually something that happens human being to human being where there's a connection that's not there already. And that might sound weird, but Paul says it, and it's throughout the Psalms, it's throughout Scripture, that we as children of God, are designed and created to express our gratitude towards God. And when we do that, we actually find ourselves in a new level of relationship with him over and over and over again. And we're supposed to repeat that and make that a regular part of our just breathing in and breathing out of our daily rhythms, that we appreciate God for what he's done. And so that's the first word is when we thank God, when we appreciate God, something happens in our brains. Technically, it's our relational receptors and we we connect with God. It, it's, it's really cool. Paul says that here but he says it not just because of what it does in us but what he's talking about and thanking God for and then he paints this image he so that's the word and, and the image is this 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 mental picture if you can if you can see this with me right now he says this in the next and the next phrase who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. A triumphal procession is a a very specific image. It's something that in that day and age, in the first, first century, when Rome ruled the known world at that time, that a triumphal procession didn't happen very often. It was kind of a rare thing, but it was a very specific thing. And a triumphal procession happened In Roman culture, in Rome, when a general came off of the battlefield, having won the victory, having defeated somebody else and and conquered new lands and came back into Rome, he would actually go to the triumphal procession application office, and he would fill out a form, and he would say, I would like to have a triumphal for me. And he would fill out this form, and he would meet all these requirements. And if he meant them, which was like actually being on the battlefield when the battle was won, but not doing it through somebody else, but he himself being on the battlefield, of fully conquering it, at one time having defeated, you had to do this. This is a requirement, a box you had to check, is defeat up to 5,000 people. If it was 4,900, it didn't count. It had to be 5,000 people that you defeated. And if that happened, then you qualified to potentially get a triumph, triumphal procession. All these other requirements. And if the general met all those requirements, when he came back into Rome, they would set this up and plan for them. And it's this parade that happened through the streets of Rome and, and, and ended at and culminated with coming up to the Capitol building and being celebrated and cheered. But the procession was a very specific thing. At the very front of the procession where the, the civic officials, the Senate, would walk out in front of the parade. And then, and then next, it was the uh, uh, yeah, there was trumpeters. They actually played music. Right behind the Senate, there was trumpeters. And then behind that, they actually carried the, the spoils of war, of victory, of, of plunder. So they actually had things like gold and silver and really nice recliners and really fancy cars that they conquered on the battlefield. They would actually, the plunder would go through the city. And then after that, the captives, the, the, those in the army that were defeated, the people that were captured, that were brought back to Rome to be either slaves or more likely soon to be executed would walk in this parade. They were the captives. And then after that, there was a there was a white bull in there that was going to get sacrificed at the Capitol, And there was um, more musicians. And then there were priests. And then came this chariot with four white horses carrying the, the general that met the application, that had defeated the, the enemy on the battlefield, had conquered new lands, and he got to wear a purple robe, which they didn't normally have. They normally wore a white toga, literally got to wear purple on this special day. This is odd, but their face was painted red because part of it had to do with the worship of Jupiter. They had a green garland that was held over their head by a slave. And there was gold around them that they were decorated with. And they were celebrated and honored. And then after him came the army. And all of this would have proceeded through Rome to the capital. That's the image that Paul is saying. And what he's saying is, is that God always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession that God is leading us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. Christ is victorious. Christ is the one, in that image at least, wearing the purple on the chariot pulled by four white horses. Now, while Paul is, is asking us to imagine this picture, it's different because Jesus is the victor. And he says, when Jesus is the victor in that picture, in that procession, We who are his children, his sons and daughters, we who have come to know Jesus are actually play a role in that procession. And it says that we're captives. We're we're up towards the front in that procession. And we're captives of Jesus. But rather than going to be executed, we actually have a role to play. We're involved in that. And it says that, that God is leading us in that. And so while Christ is victorious, we're led by God in that procession. We looked at a verse uh, last week that was in the, in the book of Ephesians. And as we've been, been moving through this series called Anchored, one of the things that we keep coming back to is that when we anchor our lives to Jesus, that Jesus is the one who leads us and none other. We started a number of weeks ago, and we talked about how, in the life of Daniel, and Becky talked that, that his strong and secure, unmovable foundation was his faith in God. And he prayed regularly. And then we moved, in, and 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 Adam talked about how uh, in the story of the prodigal son or the prodigal God, so it's a, it's a title I love for it even better, but that it is that God's security and forgiveness is available to anyone. And we talked about unity for two weeks because this is a uniquely polarizing time. But when we're anchored to Jesus, that we're actually unified, Do be unified and grow in unity as a community. And last week, Mark taught as we looked at, at what it means to be mature. And he brought us to this verse of, it, Ephesians chapter four, verse 14. And it says this, that we're no longer to be immature or we're no longer to be infants. And when we're unified with the body and we're following Jesus, we're anchored in Jesus. We're no longer infants. We grow from infancy up into maturity, becoming more like not somebody else we just greatly admire, but more like Christ as our example. And as that happens, we're no longer pushed here and there by every wave and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. And right in that, we hear wind and waves. And when we're anchored to Jesus, we're intended to be following Jesus, be led by Jesus and not anything else that gets stirred up. And that verse is so helpful and we need to hear it over and over again because there is plenty of wind in the waves right now. There's all sorts of things that pull us to be Following something else, and it's this battle for our attention. I, I mentioned in a uh, our Wednesday live that we've been doing a couple weeks ago that I watched the uh, the social dilemma, uh, and how so much in our culture right now is vying for our attention. If they can just get our attention, what happens? We get hooked in some way, even if it's for a minimal amount of time, or if it's a, too much of our time. Our attention goes towards something, and that thing begins to form us and shape our desires. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, the, the wind and the waves of every teaching and cunning and craftiness of, of people, and their deceitful scheming, which might be very intentional or it might be very accidental, but when our attention goes to something else, we begin to unhook from the anchor of Jesus and hook on to something else. And there is not another anchor that is strong and secure and available for anyone that unifies us and helps us to become who we're intended to be more mature. There's not another anchor other than Jesus. And we know plenty of people and times in our own life when we've tried to find another anchor and we've just grasped at water or the wind, and it just doesn't help us. It just doesn't hold us. It just doesn't grow us into what we're intended to be or hold us securely. When Paul says that we're captives in the procession of Jesus, the victor, that he is the one that leads us and nothing else. And so part of our challenge in this time is to say no to plenty of other ones who could lead us. No to plenty of other things that could vie for our attention. No to plenty of other options of the wind and the wave that push us here and there. And we move and we jostle and we change and we constantly find ourselves searching for something as strong and as loving and as safe and as grace-giving as Jesus We want that kind of general to lead us in our lives. He calls us a captive because we're in there. But we're not a captive that's going to slaughter. We're a captive that has been redeemed. That we're not going to the Capitol building just to see the end of our life. The end of our life was actually previous, and we've been brought to life. And now we we are joyous in claiming that we get to be captive in Jesus' procession. That's the imagery that Paul wants us to see. And then he moves towards a smell. And he says this in the last phrase of this verse. He says, and then God uses us as the aroma of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. I left out part of the procession. Part of all of that procession, there's a piece that happens in there. And it's right before the four horses and the general and the chariot. And the right piece right before that are the priests. And the priests are doing something. They're not just out for a walk in a parade. The priests are swinging something called a censer. And it's this little kind of metal contraption. And inside of it is incense. And in then the incense is being burned, and they're swinging it. Maybe you've seen this in pictures of maybe the Catholic Church or Orthodox Church. It's different than that. They were, they were in, in Roman culture at that time, they would have been shaking this censor, um, this and, and it would have been um, promoting a, an aroma, a particular smell. The captives in that procession would have smelled it, and it would have smelled like a different culture, a different place to them. It would not have been their home. But to the Romans, to those that were victorious, it would have smelled great. It would have been the smell of of victory. And as they're swinging it, the smell goes into the crowd and into the city. And you could be blocks away at a time, and you could smell it. And you could know, oh, today is a triumphal procession. It might be the only one in your lifetime, if you lived in Rome at that time. Or it might be the only one for the next decade that you get to hear, see, and smell. But they would have been swinging that, and the smell would have gone. And for them in that culture, and what, what Paul is doing here is he's capturing something. When they would have smelled that, they would have not only known a victory, but they worshiped gods, that lowercase g, all sorts of different pagan gods, gods connected to moons and different movements and those kinds of things. And and when this victory parade would go, it was to specifically the, the god Jupiter. And they would have said, if I smell that, then I'm reminded that that deity is present now. And Paul is commandeering that experience of that smell. And he's saying You, as a follower of Jesus, you as a daughter or son of God, you are the aroma of Christ's victory, of the knowledge of him, of the good news that Jesus is victorious, that he lived, that he died on the cross, that he conquered death and rose again. And you are in this procession. And when you are experienced, when you are, this is kind of odd, but when you're smelled, when your aroma is experienced by other people, they see Jesus. They hear Jesus. They experience Jesus through you. That smell for those people at that time was a reminder that their gods were present and Rome has fallen. Now today we know that, but Jesus is not. Jesus remains victorious and the call is for us. And while we want to look internally of what God's doing in us that we mature, we also want to raise our eyes up and see what God is doing around the world and in our city and in front of us and in our neighborhood and in our homes and everywhere that we go. That our eyes are up and that we can see that there is much work that God wants to do in this world. And he's actually picked you and me. And as we often say here and as I often say here, I wonder, what? why did God pick me? Why did God pick you? Aren't there others who are better or more or not? And when we think about ourselves as being the aroma of Christ, you might actually think, like, I don't smell that good. And that could be simply because you don't shower enough and you should do that. But if you're thinking about what God is doing through you spiritually and in the lives of other people and in the world in which you live, in the neighborhood in which you live, in the relationships in which you live, you're intended to be a good, sweet-smelling aroma of Jesus. You might hear that and think, "I, I don't think that's happening at all in my life. And I want you to consider for a moment the words of Paul again that God always uses us as the aroma of Christ to bring the knowledge of of him everywhere. And so you might not feel or think or believe that God is actually working through you. And I want you to consider just for a moment, today, this week, that God actually is working through you. That others have experienced Jesus through you. You might think, oh, if you knew what kind of life I'm living, if you knew all the mistakes I've made, if you knew what I said to so-and-so this week, there's no way you would think, Just consider that God actually might be working through you beyond what you see and think and know. That most of us that are following Jesus spend most of our days and weeks thinking about how we can live for him. And you might be thinking about all the ways that you fall short and fail. That's pretty normal and that's pretty human. But the spirit of God is in you, working through you, wanting to change the way you even think about that. And would you this week see or hear an encouraging word from another person of how God is actually using you and working through you. Secondly, the aroma of Christ is not just the words that we speak, while it is that it's the good news of Jesus, and may we say his name and tell his story and share his good news as much and as often as we possibly can. And on top of that, and in addition to that, when we act justly towards another person, when we extend mercy towards another person, when we display joy to another person, when we share hope with another person, We bring more of that aroma. And so would we be that kind of people that are are bringing the values and presence and experience of God in every connection and relationship and opportunity that we have? As I thought about this for me this week, I immediately thought of all the ways that I've failed in this and how I haven't been the aroma of Christ to my wife and to my sons and to my neighbors and to my friends and coworkers and people that I've interacted with. I... And that's my own issue. And some of you struggle with this and others of you don't. I would list you all the things that I've I've not done that I could do or that I intended to do and I failed at, or I did backwards or or wrongly. And yet it takes seeing my own life through another friend to go, okay, this is maybe where God's using me. Okay, this is what God wants to do in me tomorrow and the next day. And so if that's a struggle for you, would you would you ask a friend to speak into your own life? And say, God, do you see God working at all in me? That's a vulnerable moment, but I think it's a really redeeming moment. Would you also consider someone of doing the, the reverse, of telling someone else where you see God in them? And if they're not somebody who knows Jesus, would you consider just reaching out to somebody this week and saying, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? How can I support you? How can I encourage you? You don't need to say this, but what's behind that is, how can I be the aroma of Christ to you this week? collectively as a church we have a tremendous opportunity to be the aroma of christ in a moment we know we've seen this on the news that in our own city more and more plywood is going up to protect businesses and shops in our city because of what may happen in response to the election in 48 hours what if we were to be the exact opposite of that and to speak justice and mercy and joy and hope and love and forgiveness and kindness into a world that's trying to rip itself apart, we would appear as a completely different smell in that environment in this moment. And so would we be that kind of people? We're going to pray tonight, and um, you're invited to log in either on Facebook Live or if we still got slots available, you can come and join us in person. But at 5 o'clock tonight, we're just going to pray together as a church is to come together and just cry out to God. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. We're going to use the Lord's Prayer as kind of a structure for that. But we want to pray that that God would show up in our city. And we can pray for beyond that as well, but we've got enough to pray for right in our own city of Portland. And so we're going to do that tonight. Hear these words again. See this picture again. And even smell this, this vision again of who God is and what he wants to do through Christ in us. And Paul words again, but thanks be to God, Who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of knowledge of him everywhere? That work is a transition. Great. Thanks.